if you put your mind to something you will stop at nothing to achieve it be brave enough to take risks be brave enough to put yourself in uncomfortable situations and you'll end up being happier hi my name is rongan chastji welcome to feel better live more Hello, how are you doing? It feels really good to be back in the swing of weekly episodes. Feedback to last week's episode with Andrew Weil has been absolutely incredible. Thank you to every one of you who listened and shared it with your friends. Now, before we get on to this week's show, just a quick reminder about the new membership version of Feel Better Live More that I told you about last week. Basically, if you are a big fan of my show and you want to help support it, for just £7 per month, which is about US dollars per month for those of you in America, you can listen to every single episode completely advert-free, and you also get access to a once-per-month exclusive Ask Me Anything episodes where I answer your very own questions. Now, at the moment, there's a special founding members offer where you can sign up for just £5 per month for the lifetime of your subscription if you sign up before the end of October 2021. So many of you have signed up in the past week. I cannot wait to see what your questions to me are. If this interests you and you would like more information, just click on the link in the episode description on your podcast app or go to drchatterjee.com forward slash membership. Remember, this is completely optional. Nothing is going to change with my show. If you are happy listening to the ads, and the products that I recommend, you don't have to do anything. Each episode will still come out free of charge in the usual way. So, on to today's show. Now, the term inspirational can be overused when it comes to describing public figures, but in the case of today's guest, it couldn't be more fitting. Ramla Ali is a professional sportswoman who became the first ever boxer to compete for Somalia in the Tokyo 2020 Games. Now, Ramla's an incredible lady with an astonishing story, which is outlined in her brand new book, Not Without a Fight, which has just been released. Ramla is a former refugee whose family fled from war-torn Somalia when she was just a child. And after settling in the UK, she was bullied at school and physically abused, including one particular episode when she was attacked by a group of boys for wearing a hijab. This, together with advice from her GP that she was obese, proved an incentive for Ramla to begin boxing. But it was a secret that she kept hidden from her traditional religious family. Fast forward a few years, and Ramla is now an Olympic athlete and a model who has graced the covers of Elle and Vogue magazine. So what happened in between? Well, that is the subject of our conversation today. We talk about so many different topics, including how she managed to defy the odds, how she dealt with parental disapproval, and I have to say she talks with a really touching honesty about her own struggles with confidence, self-esteem, and finding her identity as a woman in the public eye. We also talk about what drives her and why giving back to others is so, so important. At its core, this is a powerful conversation about being brave, taking risks, and being yourself. I really think you're going to enjoy listening. Before we get started, just a quick shout out to Vivo Barefoot, who are supporting today's show. 
Now I have to say, Vivo Barefoot is a brand that I really, really love. I've been wearing their shoes exclusively now for about eight years, well before they started supporting my podcast. They really have transformed my own life, as well as that of my family, many of my friends, and a lot of my patients. You see, there are so many benefits when people move to wearing minimalist shoes like Vivo's. You can see improvements in back pain, hip pain, knee pain, and foot pain, and many people also describe an increased enjoyment of movement. Because when you're walking in minimalist shoes like Vivo's, you're just much more mindful of the experience as you feel more connected to the ground beneath your feet. Now, new research has shown that just a few months of wearing Vivo Barefoot for your daily activity increases your foot strength by almost 60%. So I want to make this really clear. This is not about running in Vivos. You can do that if you want to. I'm doing the London Marathon in a few weeks in my Vivos. But this is more about living your life in Vivos when you're at work, when you go into the shops, when you go out for a walk. That statistic of a 6% increase in foot strength really doesn't surprise me. And just think about how important that is. We, of course, want our feet to be strong and able to look after us for life. Simply wearing Vivo Barefoot shoes for your everyday life can absolutely help you do that. Now, this brand have a great range of shoes for kids and adults. They've got shoes for every activity from hiking to training to everyday wear. The honest truth is that they are the only shoes that my wife and I wear, and they are the only shoes that I get for my children. If you have never tried them before or your kids have never tried them before, I really would encourage you to give them a go. It is completely risk-free to do so because they offer a 100-day trial for new customers. So if you're not happy, you can just send them back for a full refund. For listeners of my show, if you go to vivobarefoot.com forward slash live more, they're giving 20% off as a one-time code for all of my podcast listeners in the UK USA, and Australia. You can get your 20% off codes by going to vivobarefoot.com forward slash live more. And now my conversation with the inspirational Ramla Ali. I was born during, you know, the height of the civil war in Somalia. Not a lot of focus was uh, given to like records, official records, you know, birth certificates, marriage certificates, death certificates, things like that. So when I was born, the war broke out, my family fled and, you know, birth certificate was just lost. Um, and a lot of people do say to me, well, surely your mum should know. But you have to remember at that time, my mum was going through such a traumatic experience, you know, it's... I, I I understand why she doesn't remember anything before, yeah. you know, the experience that in, in you know I'm talking about. So um, yeah, it's I, just, I don't know how old I am, but that's a good thing because I will always tell people I'm 21. Well, well, I tell you what's fascinating for me is there's a lot of wisdom in that book for someone so young it, it is incredible and i think to me it's reflective of the diversity of experience you've had in your life it's incredible many people don't go through what you've gone through in their entire lives and you've <laughs> gone through that in you know just a couple of decades or so yeah that thing about age is fascinating because 
I do understand that because my dad's I don't think I knew until a few years before he died. I can't remember when I got told that actually they'd added on, they'd changed back in India. I think I don't know, his family, I think had made him younger than he actually was yeah. because to them, it meant he would have more working years. So he could work for longer before retirement if he was younger. Yeah. And I was explaining this to my kids just a few days ago. I said, yeah. guys, you know, you know, around the world, People have got different experiences, have got different priorities. Just because you know the time of your birth, where you were when you were born, and your exact birthday, it doesn't mean it has the same level of importance in every single culture. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, one hundred percent. Like my dad, I, I feel like he was in a similar position to your dad. Um, you know, his year, his his years have been changed. I don't know by how much. It's similar with me, like. I, my sister, who, um, you know, when you come into this country, if you don't have birth certificates, whatever, you have to do this, is it called naturalization papers? I, f I feel like it's called naturalization papers. So she just made up an age, like a year, a, de a day month year for me. And she increased it by a couple of years so I could start school early. Reason being is I could get free school meals. Um, so my age was increased a little bit so I could start school early to get free school meals, basically. So, so you're actually 19? I, I might be. <laughs> <laughs> I might be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? And, and I think one thing I've learned, um, you know, having done maybe 200 of these podcasts now is... Yeah. 200? Damn, that's a lot of podcasts. That's it's, a lot of talking. It's a lot of talking. I love to talk. <laughs> you know what? You need to love. You need to love to do it. To do it, if that yeah. makes sense. And I feel like you. You love. You love doing podcasts, getting to know people. You know. I feel like as soon as I walked in, I, I sort of got that energy from you. Like I couldn't do it. I. I don't like talking that much. <laughs> well, you, well you've got a book out and i'm sure your publishers are going to make you talk to a lot of people a lot of people this month yes but but i i got uh pitched you for the show a few months ago and i said yes immediately oh, wow. because i saw the pitch i had a look into the story and i thought i want to know everything about that woman she sounds incredible her life story is incredible what you're she's gonna make achieved. me blush now <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true. You know, I relish the opportunity to, you know, you know, get to know these stories, understand the journey from you, you know, as a baby in Somalia to come to this country as a refugee and just a couple of months ago competing in the Olympics. So yeah. let's go through it from the start. But okay. before we do, how was the Olympics? It was a, it was quite a, a weird experience because of, you know, everything that's going on in the world. Um, Japan was just in its like, is it third or fourth state of emergency? Everything was in lockdown. We weren't really allowed to leave the athlete village. You weren't really allowed to socialize with other athletes. You know, you weren't allowed to go and watch other sports that weren't your own. So you didn't really get the full Olympic experience. I mean, don't get me wrong. I was 100% proud and, you know, I'm humbled to be there and just like it was an amazing achievement for me to get there but when I after the Olympics when people were asking me 
how was it? Oh, tell us all about it. And I think the one thing that I will tell everyone is that because I represent, I represent Somalia at the Olympics, so that the African Olympic experience is so different to the Western Olympic experience, if that makes sense. You know, when you represent the US, GB, France, Australia, I think like the big, big countries, they have all this funding behind them. Um, they have so much support staff. They have just all the money you can think of just thrown at it. And then there's just little old me, me and me and one coach. I wasn't allowed to take any sports stuff with me. So I wasn't, I couldn't take my physio, my osteo. I couldn't take my second coach. You know, I had no kit. I was, me and Richard, my, my husband, who's also my trainer, we were the only two people in the whole village walking around in jeans because we had no kit. <laughs> compare that to everyone else that had like hundreds of kit in their um in their suitcases given to them so it it wasn't you know it was it was a, a pretty pretty weird experience and i think the the positive that i've taken from it obviously it didn't go my way but the the positive that i've taken from it is that i went to the olympics i you know went to the olympics all on my own with no funding no money behind me, no support staff, just me and Richard, and I got there on my own. And that is something to be so proud of because I know not a lot of people could do that. It's something I hadn't reflected on, but the experience of competing for an African nation, mm. in your case, Somalia, is very different from mm. competing. Well, there's a lot of corruption involved. I know for a fact that the International Olympic Committee, so the IOC, have given a lot of funding to Somalia. And in the five years that I've competed for Somalia, I've not received a single penny of funding. So everything that I have done to get myself there has been from my own pocket. So, you know, like I, I, I model a bit and everyone's always saying, well, you, you do so much, you do so much modeling. But the thing is, I have to, because one shoot will pay for a tournament. One shoot will pay for tickets to get me to a tournament and the accommodation, food and things like that. So I've had to self-fund and fully fund myself in the last five years. And that's why I said, like, it's something to be so proud of because I got myself there. That's kind of the story of your life from what I can tell. <laughs> yes. Against all odds, yeah. you have time and time again achieved things. And of course, your story is very specific to you. It's your story. You know, uh, you are now an Olympic boxer. You know, yeah. that, that is something that no one can ever take away from you. 100%. But I kind of feel that we've all got our version of your story in us. Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean that everyone listening to this or watching this wants to be an Olympic boxer or believes they can be an Olympic boxer. But I kind of feel that they've all got their own version of that. Do you know what I mean? 100%. Like, I feel like it's transferable. Is that why you wrote the book? 100%. It's a book about 10 of my most important fights. Every chapter and every fight in that book is a life lesson that every person, that the, the every person, can use it to transfer it to their own life. One of my favorite things in the book is the sort of conclusion sections at the end of each chapter yeah. where you almost summarize the key lessons, which I feel yeah. 
if people read those, there's, there's, a, there's incredible life wisdom in those. I mean, there's, there's 10 of these life lessons in the book. Yeah. Which is your favorite? Oh, I love Be Yourself. You know, the thing about being yourself is nowadays there's this, you know, there's this age of social media. People will only put their wins on social media, never their losses. And because of that, it's so hard to be yourself. It's so hard because you start comparing yourself to everything that you see. And for me, sometimes I have to take a complete switch off from social media because obviously, like, for example, after the Olympics, I I didn't do well. Every time I was scrolling through and I was seeing like other people succeeding and doing well, it was making me feel bad. But the thing is, is I'm on a completely different journey to everyone else. Everybody's on a complete different journey. Don't compare yourself to everything that you see on social media or what you see of someone else. You should be yourself. And because you're, you're on this completely different path to everyone else. I mean, I think you just you've hit such a key point there. I've been reflecting on this a little bit recently um, with respect to the London Marathon. Yeah. The, the truth is I was challenged to do it. Um, a year and a half ago or so, I was on uh, the Chris Evans Breakfast Show when mm-hmm. my last book was out and you know we did an interview. And at the end of it, Chris challenged me uh, I can't remember what he said exactly, but it was something like, you know, would you be interested in the London Marathon? And I thought, well, yeah, I would be, Chris, but you know what? I don't think I'd be able to get a place now. It's not long to go. He goes, no, no, we've got a place for you. <laughs> and so he sort of put me on the spot. I agreed to take it on. At the time, it was going to be in April 2020. That got postponed because of COVID. What, what's been mm-hmm. going on. Uh, it is going to be now in October 2021. Mm-hmm. And, and in, in relation to what you were saying about you're on your own journey. 100%. The, the reason I, I feel I've been really examining that in my own life recently with to do with the marathon is, you know, I've always been very competitive in my life. And that's not always come from a good place, if I'm, if I'm honest. Yeah. And it's as I learn to be more compassionate to myself and let go of some of this inner angst, um, I'm not just not sure how competitive I really am anymore, right? Yeah. So the context is the wrong end of 10 years ago would have been really focused on a time. Okay, what time am I going to do in the marathon? What should someone like me be doing? And the truth is, is that I've got really clear goals. I want to talk to you about goals later, actually. But I know for me, my goals for the marathon are really simple and they're very clear on my head. Number one, I want to nasal breathe all the way around. It's just something I'm very passionate about, nasal breathing. So I want to be nasal breathing. I want to finish with a smile on my face. Okay. That is something uh, I would like to to do. I think it's possible to do that. Um, And another one of my goals for it is that I don't want the training beforehand or afterwards to break me and not allow me to spend time with my family and not allow me to do my job. And why that's so interesting and important for me, Ramla, is because if I wasn't clear on my goals, I could get sucked into other people's narratives. Oh, you know, you're only a real marathon runner if you break five hours. You know, oh, someone like you in reasonably good shape should be hitting this time. And occasionally I get, I let myself get caught up in someone else's story. Then I go, no, there's no, that, that number, that time, if you finish the marathon and you get a time, that time 
doesn't tell the story behind it. That doesn't say, oh, are you a full-time athlete and you can devote seven days a week to training and resting? Mm. Or are you a single mother who's working two jobs and you're also doing this to raise money for charity? That time means very different things depending on the context of the rest of your life. And so when you say our dreams, our, our journeys are individual, you're spot on. You're looking at those Olympic athletes mm. and go, well, who knows how long they've been training for? Who knows what funding they got? What team they were allowed to take with them? You know, it, we we don't see that, do we? We just see the top line and we make a judgment. Yeah. You shouldn't look at someone and just make a, an instant judgment because you don't know the full story behind behind how they got there or why they're there. Yeah. No, definitely. Let's go back to the start. Mm-hmm. Um, you were born in Somalia. Mm-hmm. What do you remember of that time? I honestly don't remember anything. Um, a lot of what's been written in the book was stories that my mom has told me very recently. Like I've, you know, you come into this, so like, you know, you're born somewhere else, you come into England, you get so used to this, like, this... I mean, I wouldn't say it's like luxury, you know, we grew up in council states, but compared to, you know, life back home, it's, you get used to this luxurious lifestyle and you just, you forget about your culture and you forget about home and things like that. So I've never been in a position where I wanted to sit down with my mom and ask her anything. And it's only when I got married that my husband was really curious. So, you know, he'd ask me questions and I'll be like, well, I don't know. So, you know, he'd get really curious and then he'd want to, you know, speak to my mom. And it's only when he started talking to my mom and my mom telling him these stories is when I actually, for the first time, learned about my childhood in Somalia. Um, But yeah, before then, for a good long time, I I didn't know anything about it because I never asked the questions. I mean, a lot of those early years are written about in quite some detail. Yeah. Yeah. in the book and you you talk about talk about your older brother yeah he passed away in Somalia and that's you know the reason why we had to leave or sorry flee um was because you know he he didn't survive the war so my mom you know any mom would want their kids to be in complete safety so she said we're going we just left. We took a few clothes, everything we had back home had to leave, pictures, birth certificates, everything was left because that was considered luxury items. Um, and yeah, that, that, that the detail you talk about in the book is only because I only learned about it quite recently because of the questions my husband was asking. So what is it like for you as you're starting to hear more from your mum, from your family about your early years? Like, it, you know, I, th- I think back to all the times as a teenager when I was just so horrible to my mum. Like, you know, you go through this phase of just, mum, you don't know what you're talking about. Leave me alone and stop, stop being in my business. And like, you realise the reason why, me personally, I realised the reason why my mum was so protective was because she just didn't want to lose another child. And now reflecting back on those, every time I was horrible to her or shouted at her, I just feel really sad. And, you know, I really wish I knew all the stories I did, all the stories that I know now back then, 
I feel like I would have been a different person. Um, but it's like I said, I just, I wasn't interested in getting to know anything because I came to the West. I was now a Westerner. I was now a British, you know, British girl, uh, had my friends going out, you know, I used to just leave my mom at home. Now I make sure I go and visit my mom at least once a week. My mom loves having so much family around her. We make sure that every Saturday we come together as a family, we chill, we get dinner, well, make sure that that's that's a regular thing now yeah. um but yeah i really wish i knew all the stories because you know growing up when i was younger i used to be so ashamed of being somali and i don't know why but now i feel like a sense of pride it's everything that my mom has told me everything that she went through my mom is like a much better fighter than I will ever be. Um, she's honestly the strongest, most bravest person I know. Everything that she's ever been through and to come out still smiling and never complaining of anything, that is a true champion to me. Yeah, it's inspirational hearing that, isn't it? It, mm. it, it teaches us what bravery, what courage mm. really is mm. and what some people have lived through and continue to live through, I guess, if we look at what's happening around the world. Yeah. Um, it, you know, and I guess that subtitle, so the book 10 Steps to Becoming Your Own Champion, it's kind of there, isn't it? Becoming your own champion. What does that mean to you? Mm. Your version of that. Mm. The story from your childhood that, you know, I read over and over again was when your parents decided you had to flee. Yeah. That I think you had to wait for a boat to take you from Somalia to Kenya. Oh my God. My mum was like saying it was the longest wait ever. Obviously I was really young. I didn't know. Like baby, I, I, like a little baby. Baby still breastfeeding. Um, so obviously I didn't, didn't know what was going on. Um, but yeah, we waited a really long time for that boat. I was just every every time it was like, oh yeah, it's coming soon. So you're still waiting and it doesn't come. Oh, it's coming soon. Like every time you you hear the same story and you just, after a while, my mom was saying, you just start to think, is this boat ever coming? Are we going to end up dying here? Um, and then you got on the boat and it's like, because of, so, because of how long the wait was, so many people had started to wait for this one boat. And, you know, a boat that was meant for like, 200 I want to say like 500 got on so it was like overcrowded do some of your older siblings remember yeah they uh, remember being on that boat yeah they'll they they you know they told me the story of so this is I, this this story is not in the book but got on the boat and um I had contracted head lice <laughs> and so you know someone's bright idea was oh yeah if you put a bit of rat poisoning in her hair it'll kill, it'll kill the head lice so my mum put rat poisoning in my hair but it made me really sick and I was like moments from death so I almost died on that journey as well um well obviously I didn't because I'm here today but that is that is that is a story um that one of my siblings had told me that I, d I didn't even know happened um but I'm sure there's like loads there are more stories like that that we just haven't spoken about. Yeah. Um, but I suspect as you get older, you'll you'll want more and more of them. And yeah. then if, like I know for me, having kids, having kids makes me want to know even more about my upbringing and stories. You know, it's it, I've got this real deep curiosity now about things that 
actually with hindsight, it's like, why did I not want to know about this stuff before? But I think that I think there's something in the immigrant mentality when you come yeah. to a different country, you just sort of suppress it down and get yeah. on with it. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, 100%. You just want to suppress everything because you try and integrate yourself into where you, so you try and, so we came to England and you try and integrate yourself into English society as, as, as quickly as possible. So people don't see that you stand out, you know? Yeah. And people don't call you names or say things about you because you want to, you want people to consider that you're from there and you're British and, you know, X, yeah. Y, and Z. So, yeah, you're right. Like, I've just suppressed it my whole life. I was ashamed of it for, for a really long time as well. Ashamed of what? Being Somali, being an immigrant, being a refugee. Like, growing up, it had such negative connotations with those words. Um, so I was, I've always been ashamed obviously not now but you know I've begun to learn to now I'm so proud of being Somali but back then you know kids are so cruel the moment they you know sniff that you're a refugee they'll start calling you names and I went through a horrible uh, secondary school experience like I didn't have the best um you know when people say secondary school is like the time of your life make sure you enjoy I did not enjoy a single bit my head was buried in books. I never got a detention. I was like the model student because I had to be. I, ha I didn't have a lot of friends. So can you imagine then, then, them finding out I was refugee on top? So I'll just hide it as much as possible. You went from Somalia to Kenya on this boat. Yeah. Uh, which sounds incredibly a traumatic journey. Yeah. Um, then I think you were based in Kenya mm. for a period of time yeah. waiting to come to the UK. But there was all kinds of challenges during that. Do you know much about that? I was told that we came to the UK on fake Kenyan passports. That's what I was told. And that's how we came to the UK. Um, and that's all I know. It, it's incredible to hear this because... It just shows us all the lengths to which people will go when for they, safety. For safety, like you know, when you see these people that say refugees don't belong here, they're only coming here for money. Like I, th I feel like you know, when you come here, I'm not sure how much. I think it's like 120 pounds a month. I want to say in London. Um, not a month, sorry, a week. Nobody risks their lives for £120 a week. My my dad was this incredibly intelligent man. Um, you know, he had loads of degrees. He's, he's multilingual. You're telling me he came here for 120 quid a week when he was, you know, he had such a an amazing career back home no way and a lot of a lot a lot of people that do come here as refugees they come with such amazing skills they're, they're doctors they're lawyers they're architects but then they've got to come here they don't speak the language and they have to take jobs that you know they can they, they have to take the first jobs that they can get because of the language barrier yeah. And that must be a, a hard for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a people person. I, I really enjoy talking to people. And then if I'm ever in a taxi, 
I'll always talk to the driver and find out a bit. And, you know, a lot of the time, the taxi drivers have come here from abroad. Yeah. And then you talk to them and it's like, yeah, I used to be a doctor in this country or I was an engineer here or I was a lawyer here. And you sort of think, wow, we must have some of the most qualified taxi, taxi drivers, drivers <laughs> yes. on the planet. And then what's incredible to me is the work ethic and the, you know, certainly I'm just getting a, a, a short taxi journey, so I'm not going to claim to know the entire life story, but just, I don't know, the sort of, you just got to get on with it attitude. This is what I need to do to mm. support me and my family. So mm. that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. It's, it's really very, very humbling. Mm. Uh, certainly I find it very humbling. Yeah. And I kind of feel, you know, we are living in a pretty divided world at the moment. Mm. There's a lot of judgment of other people, but um, that's one of the things I really, really like about your story is this, you just uh, get on with it. You get on with it. But yeah. I think we can all see ourselves in it. You know, you, as you say, you you know, you would have grown up around a lot of stress that your mum and family were carrying, fear of life, moving, trying to flee, getting to Kenya, not knowing if you'll ever get this boat to Kenya, thinking you might die on the boat to Kenya. Then from there, having to wait indefinitely to try and get hold of these passports to, to flee and then seek asylum in the UK. Yeah. Of course, you're being asked a lot about your story at the moment. Yeah. Do you ever sit back and in those quiet moments mm. when you're not on your phone and you're sitting there, do you, do you ever sort of pinch yourself and go, what happened? How am I ended up fighting in the Olympics yeah. on television? What, yeah. what happened there? What happened there? Yeah, you do sometimes get these pinch me moments. Um, a, f a few years ago, my brother... Um, he he graduated from King's with a medical degree. So he's a doctor now. Obviously, my mom's super proud of him. You know, African parents are the same, uh, I'm sure, as, as Indian parents. You know, if your kid is a doctor, they'll tell everyone. But, you know, he posted something like, I beat the odds, you know, born a refugee, this, 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 that, and look at me now. And it's the same for me. Like, I beat all these, I beat the odds, you know, I could have died. I didn't. Came here as a refugee. I worked so hard in the last five years. I was working as a model to get myself to the Olympics, you know, doing these 12-hour photo shoots that were so tiring and then competing against people that have full-time um, full funding. So, yeah, it's definitely a pinch-me moment. You, you started off the book with an incredibly powerful story, a visceral feeling and memory from childhood when you were 11 years old I wonder if mm. you could tell that story yeah so I was walking um you know one thing that my mom wanted us to never lose sight of was our culture heritage religion as well she's very big on religion so um when we were younger she'd sign up for us she would sign us up for Quran studies so I've got um two older sisters and an older brother and one by one they just sort of said I'm not going anymore I'm not going anymore I'm too old so and I was coming home from Quran studies by myself and on my road a, f a few boys on bikes stopped me sort of cut me uh, as I was walking down you know ripped my hijab off and um, the pin that was securing the hijab right here just under my face and you know just near my neck as they ripped it off the pin came undone and it 
and it, it sort of pierced me in the the neck. Uh, obviously, at, at that time, because of everything that was going on, the adrenaline, the shock, didn't feel it. Um, so as I p- picked up my hijab to put it back on, I realized the pin was gone. Looking for the pin, and I realized it was stuck in my um, neck. And as I pulled it out, it was like blood tripling, trickling down my um, my neck and my body. And I think that was the moment that it was really sad. It was really... Um, it, I, th- I feel like it was the day that I just fell out of love with my culture because I thought, I, I remember blaming my mom thinking, well, you sent me there and it's your fault that they did this. And I just, I walked in the house and I, I remember telling my mom, look, I'm too old now. I'm not going anymore. And that was that. I mean, you were only 11 at yeah. the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 11, 12. 11, 12. <laughs> and you know, you said that was sad. I mean, it sounds scary. It sounds, you know, were you it was, scared? It was, it was really scary because it was, I remember three of them and it was me against three boys. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was a very scary moment because there was no one else on the, on the road. We lived on a quiet street, you know, at the end of the road was, was a busy high street, but our road was really quiet and I was really, um, I was really scared that there was no one there to sort of have my back and protect me and tell them, oh, guys, what are you doing? And I think I was at a really young age to know anything about racism, to know anything about Islamophobia. Um, and I just, I just took it down. I just um, put it down to, oh, they must have picked on me because I was Somali. And that's why I sort of blamed my mum. And now I'm just looking back, well, as I was writing the book, looking back, it's like, why Why did I blame my mum? It's not her fault, and it's not my fault either. It's their fault. Um, but at that time, I didn't see it like that. Getting your hijab ripped off, having this injury with the pin in your neck, mm. you know, at that age, you know, you, you want someone to blame, right? So yeah. you generally we we often do it with those nearest and dearest where we know we're actually safe yeah exactly you and know, it's and it's like i was let go but we sort of know it's safe because it's actually your mum yeah and Whereas, she won't do anything you know really and so truly. it allows you to get that emotion out in some way yeah but but when you were writing about it did it bring it up fresh again for you and did you oh, it's of... just it made me so angry like i'm just like i really wish i could bump into them right now um, and just say, try it again. Let, let's see what you, let's see what you're going to do. Like, I'm just really angry that I didn't stand up for myself and I just let them, you know, obviously they're, they're three, it's three against one. They're boys, you know, there's obviously a genetic difference. Um, so I'm not saying that I would have done anything back then, but like, even just to stand up for myself verbally, I wish I'd have done that, but I didn't. I just kept quiet. I was really frightened. Um, but yeah. Do you think that incident in any way has shaped your decision to become a boxer? It could, it, it might, it maybe. I never thought of it like that. I feel like you're the first person to ask. I mean, like this is, this is the first time I've told this story. Um, my mom still doesn't know the story. Um, and like, you're the first person to ask me about it. It could, it could have, because I remember starting boxing that following summer, 
Um, and maybe, may, maybe the reasons for me starting boxing was to get fitter and to lose weight, but maybe the fuel was to know that I'm always protecting myself and to know that if, if that situation was to happen again, I would have the confidence to, you know, stand up for myself. Yeah. You said you're angry. You're angry at yourself mm. for not standing up. Mm you know, for who you are and who you were back yeah. then. Are you angry at those boys as well? Yeah. How dare you? Like, what, because someone's different, they deserve to be picked on. Because someone's different, they deserve to be hurt. Like, there's so... That's that's the beauty of London. I love living in London. It's such a multicultural city. You, you know, you can be next door... Na like, one neighbour can be from you know, India and then one neighbor can be from the Caribbean and, you know, you just all live together in harmony. You might have differences, but, you know, you're there and you learn to respect each other. And I feel like they just didn't respect being a Londoner because, you know, there's, you have so many cultures in London and everybody learns to just get on, love each other, live around each other and be respectful of one another. Um, so, yeah, I'm angry at them. For not knowing what being a true Londoner, being a true Londoner is. Yeah. I can't imagine sort of what that must have been like as an eleven-year-old girl, and you know, if I think back, I think I think about that as a story, as an incident. It's striking to me that you. I th is it is it that childhood naivety that where you didn't know about Islamophobia. You didn't know, you, you, you sort of almost didn't think it was, there was a racial element to that. No. Right? Whereas now you look no. at it through a different lens and you think... This, this has been documented so much recently. Or maybe it was still being documented back then, but I just wasn't aware of it. But now that I read the news more and I watch more news on TV and I, you know, I read newspapers, I know that it does exist. Um, and it's still out there. And, you know, anytime there is some sort of attack, they'll just assume it's a terrorist attack. But then when it's not a person from the Middle East, say, for example, if it's a Caucasian man, they'll just put it down to his mental health. But if it's someone from the Middle East, he's a terrorist. You know, I, I always say, I've always said to Richard that any terrorist is somebody that suffers with mental health. Like, pe that's the first thing that people should go and test out is their mental health. Um, but, yeah, like, that's that's how it's like Muslim people are labelled now if, yeah. if they do these attacks, um, the terrorists. But if it's someone from a different um, culture, it's not terrorism, it's something else. So, you know, it, it is how it's being portrayed in the, in the, in the news. It's really clear that you were brought up with a strong, you know, a strong faith. Mm -hmm. But you do comment that actually your interpretation of your faith yeah. was different from your mum's. Yeah. And I found that really, really interesting. So what exactly did you mean by that? And, 
you know, is that something that caused conflict? And a how, lot of the time. How is it at the moment? <laughs> a lot of the time. I feel like religion is something that's very individual. It's 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 between, you know, I, I believe, you know, there's a God and, you know, the, the, my, my interpretation of the religion is my relationship with God and nobody else should challenge that. But my mum constantly challenges that. You know, she'll say things like, why are you not wearing a hijab? I'll say, well, it's between me and God. But my interpretation of the religion is very different to hers. Um, and, you know, over time, she's learned not to ask me these questions anymore because I will always give the same answer. It's my relationship with God. Yeah. But it's about what we were talking about earlier on, isn't it? About being yourself. Yeah. About finding the strength to actually be you. Yeah. I kind of feel... And not letting anyone dictate who you are, you know, being, you know, being brave enough to be yourself because it might be hard, you know, to be yourself might be really hard. Like I said, in this, in this age of social media where anything anyone posts is perfection, like these filtered and airbrushed photos, it's not, it's not real. And, you know, it's, 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 you know, that's what everyone strives to be now is to be this perfect image. It's not, it's not real. And yeah, it's really hard to be yourself, but it, I feel like you should always be brave enough to be yourself because you'll just live a much happier life. But that's one of your life lessons in the book is yeah. be brave. Yeah. So when you talk about bravery, is that what you mean? Be brave enough to be yourself? 100%. Be brave enough to take risks. Be brave enough to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. Like, for example, if I'd have never had my first sparring session in the ring, I would have never no have known that I wanted to be a boxer. So I had to put myself in that uncomfortable situation of taking myself out of my comfort zone, getting in the ring, knowing that I was going to get hit in the face and it probably was going to hurt. But I had to put myself in that situation to know that it was something that I wanted to do. And like similarly, my very first photo shoot, you know, I was so uncomfortable. I didn't want to do it. Like my idea of modeling was to be your height and to be this thin and you know I'm walking on set and I, d I didn't feel pretty but I had to put myself in that situation to know wow I really enjoy this I'm going to do it more often um so yeah it's, it's it's about being brave to be yourself but it's also about being brave to put yourself in uncomfortable situations to to know that you you will end up loving some you will end up loving or not loving something that you, you do right about that photo shoot or one of your first photo shoots yeah. in the book. And it was, you know, I was reading that story and I thought everyone's had a moment like this in their life. Cause you were talking about going to this setting that you'd never been in before. Something you'd probably like seen in magazines and, and probably belongs to a world that was different from your world. And then I think you wrote about, uh, the first person there, you know, she looked as though she'd been doing it for years, she was stunning. She was absolutely stunning. And she was about your height, like I said. <laughs> and I just felt, honestly, everyone has laughed at me when I give this analogy, but I felt like a potato. 
compared to her. And I was so uncomfortable. But then after, you know, being on set for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, I started to get a bit more relaxed. And then it became really enjoyable. But I had to put myself in that situation. I had to be brave. You know, it it could have been easy for me to say, no, I'm not going to do it. I don't want to do it. But I had to do it to know I didn't want to do it. Yeah. And, and I guess the easy thing would have been to bail and go, you know what, yeah. I can't do this. Yeah. I, I, you know, she's a pro. She looks great on camera. I'm going to go and make a fool of myself. Yeah. I don't want to put myself through it. Did, did that cross your mind at all? Did you think, I need to get out of here. This is not my world. Or is that not typically what you would do? Are you someone who would no. always stick around and fight? No, I'm I'm one of those people where um, I'm, I get too embarrassed to bail on something. If I say I'm going to do something, I have to go through with it. It's like the very first time I walked into a boxing gym. I felt really uncomfortable because it was a gym full of loads of boys and there was no girls. It would have been easy to just walk away. But I thought, no, I said I'm going to come. Let's stick it out. If I don't enjoy it, at least I've given it a try. And that was the same with the photo shoot. I've committed to it now I'm here you know I've driven all this way let's see if I enjoy it you know let's just do it let's see if I enjoy it if I don't at least I've given it a try and that's been my motto throughout my whole life like don't don't bail out on something just because it's the easy option you know go for the difficult option sometimes and and see you know see if 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 it's something that you want to do and you know put yourself in, in those situations what led you to boxing in the first place? Um, I was an overweight teenager. Went to the doctor. Mom, you know, the doctor said, your daughter's, we're, we're, we're considering your daughter as clinically obese. So as a 12-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old, it's not great news, is it? Like, because you, you only keep getting bigger. Like, how, how much will your um, eating habits change at that age unless you, you know, consciously make an effort to to change it and I remember thinking wow you know we were learning about nutrition and things like that in PE and you know I only ever heard those words clinically obese and like you know when you watch these tv programs of my 300 pound life or something like that and that's what you consider it to be you know clinically obese so when the doctor tells you something like that and you're 12 years old you don't want to hear it so I, I said, my, well, me and my mum together made the decision that we would, I would start the gym. So my sister took me to the gym with my mum's card, signed me up, and yeah, the rest is his- history. It's interesting, isn't it, just to think about how these little moments at times in our life shape, you know, the the trajectory of the rest of it, because I'm seeing you as this incredibly inspirational Olympic boxer who's faced adversity and has come through adversity to be, you know, someone who many people see as a role model. Yeah. And I was just struck as you were telling that story, thinking, man, if she'd never had that conversation with a doctor, maybe she never would have gone to a gym and found boxing. Yeah. And how many of us are actually, you know, of course, that's all of us, isn't it? You know, all of us are are the results of all these little micro decisions at various times in our life shapes our entire life you're right like these like little micro decisions of 
doing this and doing that and doing this shapes our entire life. But it also goes back to what I was saying is putting yourself in uncomfortable situations because you'll never know if you enjoy something and you never know if you want to pursue it. You know, it's like even, for example, a job interview that you want to go to and you might think, oh, it, it's above, like, it's too above me. Like, I'll never get it. it. It's, you know, they won't want me. You need to put yourself in that situation and you'll never know if they want you or not. You need to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's it's great advice for all of us. Um, as a young, I guess, girl from an immigrant family in London, uh, you know, strong Islamic faith, boxing doesn't appear to be the most natural choice. Mm. Is, is that reasonable to say? 100% reasonable to say, you know. When so you... what happened there? What happened? I mean, <laughs> why boxing? Yes, you tried it, but what what did boxing give you? What 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 happened there that's led to you you know, lying to your family, yeah. keeping secrets, all that kind of stuff. Mm. What was so powerful about boxing that it led you to do all of that? Just taking a quick break to give a shout out to the sponsors. Blue Blots are supporting today's show. Now, Good quality sleep is essential for many aspects of our health. And I think we all know that life feels better when we've slept better. Our mood, our focus, our energy, as well as our ability to interact with loved ones. Now, as a doctor, one of the biggest obstacles to sleep I see is light. And in particular, too much artificial light in the evenings. And that is where Blue Blocks comes in. They really do have a fantastic range of products to help us all sleep better. Now, they've got this fantastic Remedy Sleep Mask, which I myself have been using for a few months. It blocks 100% of light. And compared to other masks that I've tried before, this one is super comfortable and light, so you can easily forget that you're wearing it. Since I started wearing this mask, I really feel my sleep quality has improved, and it has become an essential for me both at home and also when I'm on the roads to block out lights in hotel rooms. They've also got a new Remedy Light sleep mask for those of you who prefer a slightly lighter pressure from your sleep mask. They also have other amazing products such as low blue light bulbs and some quite brilliant blue light blocking glasses, which I myself have been using for over two years now. These evening blue light blocking glasses they really do make a difference to your sleep if you're spending time on screens in the evening. They have done for me. I've also seen it with so many of my patients. I love these glasses so much that my wife and both of my kids have their own pairs. So if you want to try them out, they are offering my podcast listeners 20% off anything that you order on their website. All you have to do is use the discount code LIVEMORE20 at the checkout for 20% off. That's all one word and no space. Or go directly to blueblocks.com forward slash live more. That's B L U B L O X.com forward slash live more. And the discount will be automatically applied. Athletic Greens are also supporting today's show. Now, I get it. You already know that nutrition is important for your physical and mental well being. And ideally, I completely agree we would all get all of our nutrition from real whole foods. 
But I know from 20 years of seeing patients that a lot of us struggle to consistently do that, especially these days. Busy schedules, poor sleep, too much stress, or simply not eating enough of the right foods can leave us deficient in key nutrients. That is why I'm a big fan of good quality whole food supplements like Athletic Greens. Now, one tasty scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blends, and much more, all in one convenient daily serving. I think that's one of the main reasons I like and recommend Athletic Greens. It really is a simple way to start each day and give your body the nutrition it needs. It helps to fill any nutritional gaps in your diet, can help support energy and focus, aid with gut health and digestion, and it also helps support a healthy immune system, something that is essential as we move out of summer. I've been taking Athletic Greens for about three years now, I think, and I really do believe it is one of the best whole food supplements out there in the market. For listeners of the show, if you go to athleticgreens.com forward slash live more, you can now access a brand new special offer where they're offering my audience a free one-year supply of vitamin D, which is an essential nutrient for our immune systems, and five free travel packs. You can check out this special offer by going to athleticgreens.com forward slash live more. I loved the feeling that boxing gave me. So, you know, whenever the, not the first gym I ever went to, but the second gym I went to, there was a really nice quote on the door just before you enter. And it says, leave your ego at the door. And I love that. I mean, I had no ego, but it's like, I interpreted that as leave all your worries at the door. And then you go in through the doors and you're like in this whole new world where you just forget all the stresses that are going on in your life. And for that one and a half hours, two hours that you decide to train, everything is just forgotten. And it for me, I really enjoyed it because it gave me so much relief from my home, from all the stresses in my house. Like, I'm sure you have dealt with it. Do you have any sisters? I don't. Okay. But okay. a brother. Okay, you won't know this, but in the, you know... I want to say Indian cultures, African cultures, the girl is always left to do all the cleaning at the in the house, all the cooking. So it took away all that stress from me. So for those two hours that I was training, I, I would forget being, you know, a Somali or from an immigrant family or, you know, someone's dishwasher or someone's cooker. I was just there and I was me. And it was just so enjoyable. And that's what I loved about it the most is that I just got to be myself for an hour and a half and I was just doing something that I loved. And it was for me and no one else. And that's what I loved. I think it was boxer size, was it, that you first did? Yeah. And, and I've never done a boxer size class. But I was struck by when you said boxing or boxing at a boxing gym is different from boxer size. Yeah. It's not as enjoyable. Yeah. And what did you mean by that? Um, in boxer size, it's just all levels are welcome. You come, you train together, you know, doesn't matter if you've going, if you've been going for two years or if it's your first session, there's something for everything. everyone. Boxing, a boxing gym, 
boxing, you know, it is enjoyable at first, but when it gets, when it gets down to, you've got to learn all the correct techniques. Oh, it's, it's, it's time to prepare for a competition or a fight. It becomes less enjoyable because you're constantly watching what, you know, it's a weight, it's a weighted sport. And you're constantly watching your weight, you know, if you eat this, oh God, I'm going to go over on the scales tomorrow. And I think that element is something that I really hate in boxing is the constantly watching your weight. You become obsessive over time. I feel like a lot of people have developed eating disorders because of it. Um, but it is, that is the nature of the competition. It's, it's a way, it's a way to sport for a reason to, you know, Boxing is considered one of the most dangerous sports in the world, so it's understandable that you compete against somebody your own weight, um, for sure. Do you get scared when you box? No. The only thing I'm only ever scared of is losing, never getting hurt. One thing I hate is to put, you know, you've trained for such a long time and then you lose a decision, and that is so hurtful. Like, I will always congratulate a better opponent and so, you know what, fair play, you worked harder than me today, you deserve the win. One thing I hate is when you know that you should have won, but you weren't given the decision. And that's heartbreaking because you've sacrificed so much time, energy, money into it. So I have a conflict in my head around boxing because I have, I've seen quite a few patients over the years who have told me that boxing changed their lives it gave them a sense of community a sense of belonging a real sort of structure uh, i remember one of my patients said like you know before boxing I, I couldn't do anything i wouldn't motivate myself to do anything but but in the boxing gym 10 press-ups meant 10 press-ups mm. and that discipline was what this particular patient i've got in mind really needed and thrived on and completely changed his life and you, of course, you know, boxing is not something I've really been exposed to. I was a fan as a teenager, much to my mum's, I think, I won't say disgust. She, she, she never liked boxing. Yeah. So like, why are you watching boxing? These people are trying to hit people's heads. But I used to, you know, I used to get up at like 2, 3 a.m. My mate would come rounds. We'd have Sky and be watching like the fights from Las Vegas, oh like in the God. days of, you know, <laughs> Lennox Lewis and... Um, you know, Evander Holyfield and all that kind of stuff. I remember from my teenage years watching yeah. all that stuff. And I always remember a bit like what you just said now that, you know, in boxing, they'd say, the commentators would all say, oh yes, this this person's going to win on points. Definitely this person's won on points. And then the judges would give it to the other person. And I remember thinking, oh, how is that fair? Like everyone's saying this person's won, yet the judges have given it to the other person. And that's when I started to really understand, oh, maybe there's more to this and actually who was the better fighter. So I want to know how do you deal with that sort of injustice? Mm. But the conflict I have in my head is on one hand, I can see how transformative boxing has been for so many people, yourself. Um, lots of people say, particularly from uh, certain communities, will say boxing gave them framework, gave them structure, gave them discipline. Yeah, I've also got my mum's voice in the back of my head that, you know, ultimately, to me as a non-boxer, you're trying to hit someone's head yeah. and take them out. Yeah. And so some people would call it inhumane. Yeah. So help me out if you can with that conflict that I've got in my head. I mean, I don't think boxing is humane. It, it's, it's a bit of an art form. Like, you know, 
you spend years in the dance studio learning a routine. And that's exactly what boxing is. You spend weeks in the gym learning a routine that could knock someone out. Um, but it, it just shows all similar to like dancing and moving around the, you know, moving around the ring with like amazing footwork and dazzling people and being called twinkle toes and whatever, whatever. It's, it's, I feel like it's the same as that, you know, watch for me, watching certain boxers in the ring to me is like watching art. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the only way I can explain it. I know like the non-fans will always say, oh, boxing is so brutal, oh, all this blood and all of that, all of that. If you can get past that, it's actually beautiful to watch, especially if you're watching boxers as opposed to fighters. So do you know the difference between the two? So a boxer is somebody that displays class and skill in the ring and a fighter is somebody that just wants to come and tear your head off. I don't like watching fighters personally. They they are usually the people with the dodgy noses, like the the noses that look bent and stuff like that. You can tell who a fighter is and who a boxer is um, just just by looking at them. And for me, I always love watching boxers because it's just so beautiful to watch the way they just float around yeah. the ring and display their skills. Um, so yeah, when I talk about it's like art i'm talking about watching boxers in the ring not watching fighters well i can believe that i i can totally understand that there is a beauty to people who know what they're looking for that mm. you know the skill level must be incredible mm. but i guess you know maybe this speaks to the fact that i know your your family didn't know about this and I, i'd love to understand a bit about that mm. um I, I was as I was preparing for talking to you, I was reading up about female boxing, and there was one sort of high-profile female boxer. I can't remember her name. Who was saying, "I think every young girl should be taught how to box." Yeah. And I, 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 I just sat there thinking about that, and I thought, you know what? I, I do have an eight-year-old daughter. I would like her to be able to protect herself 100%. as she gets older. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, I want that for my son as well, just to be really clear. Right? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not saying just my daughter. I would like them both to be able to protect themselves should they need it in the future. Mm. But then I thought, I was, I was reading your story from your side and about your passion for boxing. And I was, then I was thinking, I was trying to flip it and go, okay, if it was my daughter, if my daughter in 10 years tells me she wants to box, how will I feel about it? Of course, I don't know, because I don't know what her drive might be for that. But I think part of me as a parent would go, man, I'd love you to learn the skill of boxing. I'd love you, I'd, I'd love you to train as a boxer. But man, I don't really want to see you fight and have yeah. people taking shots at your face. Yeah, 100%. That's, that's me being completely honest. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, looking back now, I, I, I could understand... I knew why I was hiding it from them is because I knew my mum would be like, no, you're not doing it. I don't want you fighting. I don't want you getting hurt because of everything that's happened, like all her traumatic experiences and losing a son. And, you know, we came to the UK and one of my cousins, he was stabbed outside of school over a 10 pound debt and killed so you know she she, she didn't want to in her eyes like most people boxing is brutal it's dangerous I, I don't want you getting hurt and I could completely understand that I'm not a mother but I can I can understand why anyone would think that way about their child and I, I knew hiding it from her 
is because I knew she didn't want me, obviously for cultural reasons, but she didn't want me getting hurt. And I'm sure a lot of people say the same, um, would say the same about their children. Um, but a question, would you say that about your son as well? You don't want him getting hurt or is it just your daughter? That's a good question. So I'm pretty sure I would say the same about my son. I guess I don't like the thought of anyone taking shots at my kid's head, if, yeah. if I'm honest, right? So that's, again, I always say in theory, because, you know, you never know how you will be in a certain situation. Mm. Um, so I I mean, I get it. I get it. There's a conflict, right? Your mum's come from danger. She's She's like literally risked life, risked everything to get her family to safety. And then it's like, why should... Why is she voluntarily putting bring, herself in danger? Yeah, and, and to her, you can see, like, I, I actually genuinely believe that with most people, I, if we take it outside the situation, if you, if you walk around to the other side and think about that person's experience, their upbringing, their life experiences, it's very hard to not make the case that we would also be acting in the same way if we were them. You know, I, I, it's something I use in all aspects of my life, particularly when I find myself starting to judge someone. Mm. I think, well, hold on a wrong, walk around the other sides of that story. And if you were them, you might be making a similar decision, even though from where you're sitting, you may not. So I could get that. Um, there was also, of course, the fact that your family or certainly your mum I'm not sure how many in your family didn't really approve of boxing no why didn't they approve I think they didn't approve because my mum didn't approve my mum in most African households and families the mum is like the dad they are the decision maker everybody gets my mum's permission before they get my dad's permission so because my mum was so disproving of it they all followed suit so they all didn't uh, they all disapproved um and that's how it was i think my dad and obviously my younger brother who who knew um well let's tell that because yeah you started boxing you kept it from your family so i'm guessing well from what i can tell you were you started you it's making you feel incredible mm. you want to keep doing it mm. but you know at home it's not going to be approved of. It's not going to be liked. Mm. So you keep going. Mm. Now, this kind of double life, actually, mm. I think is very common for many teenagers. Yeah. I certainly know for immigrant families. Yeah. It is super common. Yeah. Like, you know, as someone... I have some cousins that are like, they have this double life of, you know, they'll be in, at home wearing the hijab and then they'll leave and they'll be going clubbing with friends and like just things that their parents just disapprove of. And they have two completely different lives. It's quite funny, actually. The, actually, the other day I was at uh, one of, I was at a relative's house and then we were all talking. Um, I can't remember who brought up the conversation. Somebody brought it up and then we were talking about how, how naughty my sister was and how much of a headache she'd give my mum because she would constantly go out and my mum wouldn't hear from her for a really long time and she'd come back and she, you know, give my mum a headache. And then my mum said to me, looking back now, I'm glad that the only headache you gave me was boxing and that you weren't up to the same things that your sister was up to. Cause that, that was literally like, I, I didn't really get into this whole 
going out with friends, partying, because of all the discipline that boxing instilled in me. And like, you know, I, you know, friends would invite me out and I'd be like, no, sorry, I've got training tomorrow. No, sorry, I've got to wake up really early in the morning. I can't come out or Let, let's do No, I can't. Sorry, I'm I'm, I'm at home. And it, it gave me that discipline. And I just did nothing. And I gave my mum no headache. Yeah. I, I can see that because in many ways, I guess what they wanted from you on so many levels boxing was giving you yeah structure routine focus motivation you know these are the things i guess that most parents want for their kids yeah i guess it was just the delivery mechanism of those benefits yeah they probably would have preferred was something other than boxing yeah 100 percent um but even, but now she said, looking back, I'm glad it was just boxing and nothing else. So that's so, a win, at least. That's a win. Yeah, that's a little <laughs> win. That's one step to becoming your own champion. One, you know? yes, that's a yes. Um, so you kept it a secret. Mm. Now, I, I'd love to, you to try and imagine, you know, back to that time where you're sort of sneaking around, you're confiding in your younger brother. Mm you're boxing you're training you're trying to get better yet at home nobody knows no what was that like for you living that kind of double life it was really weird um you know i'd, I'd be at competitions and i'd see op opponents who have they bring their entire families and i'll have nobody cheering for me and it was really sad because i had no support i mean i've only just realized quite recently how important support is um, you know, after, after the Olympics, the first person to call me was my mum. I didn't have that growing up because she didn't know slash didn't approve of it. And, you know, having that conversation with my mum and my older brother was so amazing. And I think I was at my lowest and they brought me up. They brought my spirits up. And I realised from then that you know, support is really, really important. I was like, truly grateful that she was the first person to call me. Talk us through the moment when you realised your family knew. So tell us about that day, <laughs> the lead up and exactly what happens. It's quite weird. Um, my sister messaged me, said, hey, are you coming home today? I'm at the house. I thought, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm on my way. Um, how long are you going to stay there? And she said something quite weird, like, oh, as long, I'll wait for you until you get here. Oh, okay. So I went home and then Had I, you been boxing? Yeah, I was just coming home from training. <laughs> and then I went home and the entire family was there sitting in the front living room, including both sisters and both their husbands. Um, and I remember thinking, what is going on? something weird is going on just the way they were arranged it wasn't like it wasn't a gathering of oh yeah let's socialize type it was like everybody was just sat it, it was a weird like arrangement um I remember thinking what's going on and then my sister was just like sit down we need to have a word so I sat down and then we saw you on TV and that's how the conversation started of boxing. Um, we saw you on TV and then they said, the one thing they said to me was the way that's someone's daughter, you know, don't you feel bad that you're hurting someone's daughter? Because mum feels really like mum is really upset that someone's been hurting you. 
And that's how the conversation started. It's like, no, it's boxing. Like, you're going to get hurt, you know? Um, and then I remember um, my mom, you know, the usual guilt of, you're making me sick, you're making me ill, you need to stop, like very dramatic. I'm like, oh, are you lying? You're not sick. <laughs> and then she, um, you know, asked me to stop. Uh, and I did. Because one thing in life, you know, coming from an immigrant family is you always want to please your parents. Even if you think it's wrong and it will go against your happiness, you always try and please them. Um, so I did because it, it it was something that that would please her. So you stopped boxing. How long had you been boxing for at that time? Uh, I want to say about 10, 11 years. 10, 11 years, yeah. you've been keeping it a secret. Yeah, the, so the thing is, is, obviously I was boxing for 10, 11 years, but my career of boxing has always been stop and start. It's never been a fluid career of just training, competition, training, competition, training. It would be training, I'll have a competition, I'd stop for a bit because I'd be too scared that they'd find out and then I'd start it back up. Like I feel like the way I did it has been so dangerous detrimental to my career because I personally feel like I should be a lot further than where I am now I feel like I should have done two Olympics by now and I've only done one um maybe even three I I guess that goes back to what you were saying before that you're on your own journey getting to the Olympics was was one of your big stories against all odds Mm. and you you can't really take the context out of that because I imagine most people boxing, once they started, they probably had support, their family, of their friends, they probably had continued training, yeah. not these kind of gaps where they'd stop for six months or mm. because everyone around them knew what they were doing and were mm. probably presumably behind it. Mm. So yeah, potentially you would have been further on. Mm yet you still got there. Mm. Does that leave you at this moment in your life with any regrets? Do you wonder, well, what if I didn't have to do that? What if would I have got more from this sport than I already have? Mm. Uh, I personally feel like you shouldn't live a life of regrets because you'll end up being, you know, (laughs) there's a lot, there's gyms in London they have these coaches that are, oh, I could have been this and I could have been that and I could have been a world champ. I don't want to be that person. Um, and I've always said, like, never have any regrets because I feel like everything in your life and in your path and in your journey happens for a reason to get you to a point that you are now. Yeah, I would have liked to have had an easier route to get here. You know, I would have liked to have had family support. I would have liked to have got on the national like continue to stay on the national team and gone to the national team um you know with full funding and a full support staff and all of that but I feel like the way I did it if if I'd have done it that way it wouldn't have been as inspiring as the way I, I did it now the hard way I think a lot of people um you know can relate to me 
you know, not a lot of people can relate to like, you know, the Usain Bolts of this world who just win, 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 and you you don't see all the struggles. I feel like because you see all all my struggles and how I've done it all the hard way and things like that, it's it's really relatable. And a lot of people can see themselves, it can see me in themselves, and I'm I'm glad that it has happened this way because I feel like this journey that I'm on and this path that I've that I've carved out it's gonna inspire a whole lot of people and I know what one day in the future a you know, little girl's gonna come up to me and say I started boxing because of you and that will just be amazing Do you get messages at the moment from people? Oh, all the time. And what 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 is there a, is there a common theme in these messages? What are they saying to you? A lot of the stuff is just we're really proud of you. You know, you've put Somalia on the map. Thank you for, you know, thank you for putting Somalia on the map. But things like that, which is amazing. And then a lot of the times is mothers messaging me saying, you know, I've enrolled my daughter in something because of you it's not always boxing will be my daughter started karate because of you or my daughter started taekwondo because of you and that's an amazing um feeling as well to know that i'm inspiring mothers to encourage their daughters to take up sport that's amazing yeah that is amazing congratulations that's that's it's really great to hear that you know, you, you have this profile now, don't you? You've you've got this significant profile. And with that, as you were saying before, comes a certain, I guess, responsibility. But how does it feel, I guess, on an individual level to know that you following your path and now sharing your journey and your lessons through this book and through social media um, is actually helping thousands of others mm. they see themselves in you yeah and they're inspired i mean i guess that wasn't on your mind at the start was it no you for know. me it was all purely selfish <laughs> for me it was let me uh let me let me start competing for somalia because in competing for somalia i can do all the tournaments that i want to do i'm not going to get restricted from doing anything you know it's it was all me 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 like boxing in itself most individual sports are very selfish sports and uh, you know I'll raise my hand and say the decision to do it like that was purely selfish but you know it, it over time you start getting these messages and then you start to think wow it's not about me anymore it's about all these young girls everywhere that you're in, that that I'm inspiring and all these young people everywhere that I'm inspiring and it, it becomes something much bigger than me yeah. and you know it started off purely selfish but it's finished very unselfish do you ever share those stories with your mum sometimes like my Somali isn't the best of Somalis <laughs> it's not the best um, because we speak a lot of English at home and then there's, you know, a few Somali words broken in here and there. My parents don't speak a word of English. Um, so I will sometimes try and explain it. And she says, wow, it's amazing. But like I hear stories from my sister who's told me things about my mum talking about me to her friends which is so great. Like, oh, did you know my daughter is, you know, she's basically talking about me like the proud doctor 
you know, son, <laughs> you know how I was saying that she's so proud of my brother. That's how she's talking about me now. Have you been waiting a long time for that? A really long time. Yeah. And it's great that it's finally happened. I thought I'd, it'd never happen. But yeah, it's really great that it's finally happened. Like I'll set, I'll show her pictures of magazine covers that I've done and things like that. And she's so proud. And she'll tell her friends. And like if I bring her a handbag from, if a brand gives me a handbag. So I'll, I'll ask a brand for a handbag for my mom and they'll send it to me and I'll give it to my mom. And then she'll call her friends. Did you know Ramla just bought me this bag? <laughs> she's like telling everyone. <laughs> but you hear that secondhand. You don't hear it direct from her. No. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> the, there's a I've seen a meme of the the greatest flex is your parents who will cuss you to your face but talk nice about you behind your back. <laughs> it's yeah, I mean again it, it it's you know, I'm I'm talking to, you know, someone from a fellow immigrant family. So I you know, I I know it's common in our kind of upbringings, you know, um, I, if I, if I get a real compliment from mum, like I think, was it my last book or the one before? She's like, actually, that's, that's a really good book, Rongan. Uh, I was like shocked. Uh, <laughs> did, did mum just say that? Like, I, I know I, sometimes I have to pinch myself as well. Like who are you talking about? You talking about me? But, but you know what? It felt incredible. Hmm. And then you thought, wow, you know, I've kind of, man, I've been wanting that validation. Mm. And, I, and I think there's something certainly with my bringing this kind of tough love where, mm. you know, all, always sort of push harder. You can mm. always do better. Yeah. And, and I think that's helped on so many levels. But at the same time, it is nice, isn't it, to hear that, oh, they're, they're actually proud. But yeah, that she's proud of me. She used to tell me off for boxing, but now she's proud that I box. And showing off to her mates and about And showing her. off to her mates about me. Like, I never thought I'd, I'd see that day. <laughs> you mentioned you've been on a couple of covers now. Mm -hmm. You've been incredibly modest, because let's, let's talk about them. This one is Elle magazine. Oh, that's the most recent one, yeah. I saw that. Incredible cover. Thank you. And I think one was Vogue, was it, last year? <laughs> I think it was 2019, British Vogue. Yeah. So you're, you're being incredibly modest. Um, these are iconic magazines. Mm -hmm. Their names are known globally. Mm. And you've graced the cover twice. So mm. what would 11-year-old Ramler think of that, do you think? She would laugh at you and say you're lying. Because you sort of, you know, you come, you come from an immigrant family. You live in a council estate. You know, you have to have a weekend job um, to support yourself. But then you walk past all these shops of, you know, the Dior's, the Chanel's, the, the, the coaches of this world. And you walk past thinking, oh, I'd love to own that one day. And then one day they're paying you to wear it. It's mad. That's why I had to write it, because all of this is like unbelievable moments that just need to be documented and told to everyone. Let's say there's a teenage girl listening to this at the moment mm. or watching this or a mother of a teenage girl who's struggling with identity and, you know, feels a bit of a lack of motivation and mm. feels that nothing's really going on with their life. Mm. What would you want 
them to take from your story? I feel like the one thing that they should know is that I, I too struggled with identity for such a long time from the age of 11 to, you know, I, I even till now, like sometimes struggle with it a little bit, but you know, you shouldn't let your own fears hold you back from doing things that are you're you're destined to do let's say take yourself out of your comfort zone and do something that you're not comfortable with because it's only then that you will realize if you love it or not be brave enough and be courageous enough to try new things yeah great advice we've covered and discussed the fact that you've come from a, a family which belongs to the muslim faith yeah and how instrumental that was in your upbringing. Mm -hmm. But you're also a female mm -hmm. who has got into a very male-dominant sport. And you have got to be competing at the Olympics. Mm -hmm. You've been on the cover of Elle magazine, of Vogue. Um, you are a Nike-sponsored athlete mm -hmm. now. You have got big brands associating themselves with you. Yeah. Right, so you really have kind of smashed through quite a few of these glass ceilings, yeah. Um, which is really incredible to even actually go through that and say that it, it's it's really quite something. Um, if we focus on you being a female, mm. what has that been like? Getting into boxing, from what I can tell you know, traditionally very, very male dominated. What is, what has that been like? I mean, of course you tell the story of sexual harassment when you're yeah. in a boxing gym. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about that and how, you know, how that has shaped your life. Um, you know, back when I started, female boxing wasn't really a thing. So coaches would never pay any attention to women because, you know, it wasn't, something that would get them the most money or get them the most um get them the most reward or get them the most recognition because nobody gave a damn about uh female boxing it was only after the 2012 olympics that it was just such a boom you know i i think i read somewhere that there were in most clubs with 30% increase in female participants which has been amazing and since 2012 more coaches are paying more attention to women because they know that female boxing is the future. It's something different. Women want to learn correct technique. They want to display their technique. A lot of women are boxers, like I was saying earlier, the difference between boxers and fighters. Like Women want to show off how good and crafty they are in the ring. Um, so obviously like it's been re it was really hard starting off as a female because nobody was paying me any attention you know half the time I was learning things on my own and learning things in the comfort of my own room and practicing things that I wasn't necessarily being taught in the gym um so it's been quite hard but I'm glad that you know because of how hard I found it more girls now are going to find it a lot easier I don't like some, I think someone asked me once before, like, do you, are you sad or like that it's been this way? I say, no, because, you know, I'm 
now able to pave the way for girls to, to, to have it a bit easier in the future. And, you know, there were a lot of sleazeball coaches back then that there was a lot of like sexual harassment, a lot of unwanted touching and a lot of sexual assault. Well, you've experienced all of that. That I've experienced and I talk about in the book. And, you know, hopefully that stuff, because more and more women are talking up about it, a lot of the women that have had to grow um a lot of the women that ha- have had to endure it and go through it are, to- are speaking up and being brave enough to speak yeah. up about it we are paving the way for the new generation to not have to experience it so that is that is you know it was hard but i'm 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 glad that other young girls are not going to be put in the same position that i was put in has that ever driven you on in the ring when times get tough or for training? Mm. Do you ever think back to harassment or bullying at school or those boys who, you know, ripped the hijab off your face when you mm. were 11? Do, do, you, do you hold that pain inside you as, no. as motivation or have you managed to let go of it and move on? I feel like you just, you can't, you shouldn't hold on to, you shouldn't have grudges and you shouldn't hold on to anger. Um, because you just end up being bitter. There's so many bitter coaches out there who hold because you you've succeeded, you've succeeded in your career far further than they ever could. There's so much resentment in the way they talk to you and the way they treat you. And I don't want to be that person. So I I tend to not hold grudge. I'm a very forgiving person because then, you know, I I end up living a very happier life. Have you had to learn to do that? Or in the immediate aftermath of some of these experiences, Mm. has that anger eaten you up? Has it preyed on you? Have you, is that something that always came naturally to you? Or have you learned that actually letting go of this stuff and moving on makes you feel calmer, makes you feel more relaxed and ultimately leads to a happier life? I think I learned that from my mom. Like I said, like my mom, you know, has gone through so much and it would be so easy for my mom. Like anybody who's heard my mom's story from the outside looking in would say, you know what, I can understand if you're very, if if you end up being a very angry person, but she's so forgiving. And, you know, you know, you learn the traits of your parents. And because that's all I ever saw was this forgiving woman who, who has been through so much and just, you know, forgave everyone that has, has, has put her in these situations. I then adopted that same outlook um, on life. It's, it's interesting. Uh, I, I see a parallel when I hear that with my wife's family, mm. particularly my father-in-law, I'd say, because they are uh, East African Indians. So my, mm. my father-in-law's family. Kenya. Uh, yeah, in Kenya. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> There's a uh, lot of Indians in Kenya. Yeah, yeah. and um, I didn't know about that Indian heritage side in East Africa till I met my wife. Mm. Yeah, I just didn't know about it. You know, I just knew about my Indian heritage from India. Mm. And actually... If you unpick their story of, you know, being present in Kenya for the coup, being scared, you know, people coming to the village, raping, murdering, um, them having to, I mean, how far do we go into this? But, you know, them having, you know, basically my wife and her brother, when they were very little, had to sort of hide in a kitchen cupboard and be quiet whilst there were people coming to the door and the parents were trying to make sure the kids were quiet so they didn't know they were there. And actually, 
there's been an incredible repressed trauma from that, not speaking about it, not which is only sort of coming out in the last few years, I'd say. But Vid's dad's outlook on life is just incredible. It's mm. inspirational. Mm. Like he's the most relaxed person I know. Nothing seems to face him. Things come things go he's always got a big smile on his face he's forgiving he's understanding and, and i hear you talk about your mum. and i know adversity is when we truly grow in life yeah but i think of the adversity that your mum's faced and then she appears to be a really forgiving person mm. i find that really inspirational yeah my mom is an inspiring woman she should write a book <laughs> she'll have some stories to tell um but chapter, yeah. chapter one when i found out my daughter boxed, boxed. <laughs> so when your mum did find out it sounds as though there was real turmoil for you in a turmoil because the the sport that you loved on one hand you could no longer do but you wanted to be respectful to your family mm. i think it was about six months or so before that itch became too strong and yeah, I just had to go back. And you had to go back. It's like I said, like I loved, I loved the feeling that it gave me of just forgetting everything. Like I could forget my family or the or the the stresses and the struggles of home life. And I was really missing that because all I was doing was coming back from uni or work. I can't remember what I was doing at the time coming home into a stressful environment then going back to a stressful then it was just like this constant cycle of stress and I really missed the outlet that boxing gave me of having to forget all my troubles and my worries so when you went back to it again you had to go back to keeping it a secret again yeah what actually happened in the end like how did they finally find out um I think that they found out because so this was after I decided to compete for Somalia. You know, we just kept running into closed doors of who do I talk to? Who do I contact? Can't get access to anyone from the Somali National Olympic Committee. I can't, it was it was hard. You know, I met, started following someone on Instagram who was a quite senior politician in Somalia who said, you know, what you need to do is you need to do an in sit down interview or some sort of recording with a like a very large Somali TV station and then put it out there eventually the right person will find you and contact you so i was really nervous because i knew that if i'd have done that because of all the somali tv that my mum watches at home she would for sure find out but he said this is the only way and i thought okay if this is the only way and it's like I said earlier, be brave and put yourself in uncomfortable situations. I thought if this is the only way, this is what I'm going to have to do. So I did, I did that, um, I did that interview and I remember my uncle, he called me after the interview was aired to say he'd seen it and he was really proud and he talked to my mum and to make sure that she would in turn be quite supportive um, and that's how they found out the second time. And it just goes to show you that you can do anything you put your mind to. I wanted to go to the Olympics. I had no funding, but I was adamant that I was going to get there. So I worked so hard to save up for such a long time. 
do you believe that's possible for anyone? I don't mean get to the Olympics. For but anyone. Can anyone, if they want it bad enough? If you put your mind to something, you will stop at nothing to achieve it. Me and Richard were saving up for a house and we thought, shall we put the deposit on the house or shall we pursue this boxing? Because we, ha- we were getting no funding. I was the smart one and I said, let's put a deposit on a house. And he said, nope. We're going to do this boxing thing because I don't want you to live a life of regret. And so I think we were down to our last month's rent. And then after that, we would have just been homeless. And it was Nike came on board just at the right time. You know, someone at Nike, Dan Smith, he just, he took a chance on me because I remember before Dan Smith signed me at Nike, I'd pitched myself to them to one of their advertising agencies who were like no they they because I'd not really done anything so you know I'd I'd won the nationals like twice and the 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 the, the GB championships and things like that but because I'd never been to the Olympics or won something internationally they weren't really interested but Dan Smith he took a chance on me he saw my potential and it was because of that we were able to continue because it just created this sort of ripple effect like Nike came on board then another person I feel like sponsors love sponsors if they see you're sponsored they want to sponsor you so Nike came on board then someone else then someone else and because of Dan Smith taking that chance on me, I firmly believe it's because of him that I got to the Olympics. He'd probably be happy that I've said that. Obviously, Richard got me to the Olympics as well. But if it wasn't him taking a chance on me, all of this wouldn't have happened. All of this getting signed to IMG and getting this sponsor and that sponsor and that sponsor probably wouldn't have happened. So I, I owe him a lot. Well, big shout out to Dan. Big shout out to Dan Smith. Um, <laughs> and also just speaks to the importance, and I know you write about this, you're very passionate about this, about having a team around you, right? Yeah. You need to have a team around you that you trust. You can't just have any person right. around you. You need to be in sync. That, that, that team needs to know everything about you. They need to know when you're upset, when you're happy, how your body works, the mechanics of your body, what makes you tick. Like you need, it's really important yeah. to have a positive and a good support system around you. I've just got a couple of things I want to cover before we close this conversation down. Mm-hmm. One is relating to sponsors. Mm. Of course, as a female boxer, there's not much money. No. I, I know that there can be a certain perception, oh, that she's boxing, she must be doing really well. But actually, when you look at the reality, it's a struggle. And as you say, you're down to your last rent check. Mm. Um, this is this is the reality of being an amateur athlete for so yeah. many people, isn't it? Mm, yes. But I remember this story where, I think it was an agency in London, you had a meeting, you and your husband, Richard, you had a mm. meeting, and they were potentially interested in signing you to get you some deals. Mm. But the guy... Only if I got my kit off. Yeah, the guy showed you a picture <laughs> of a girl in her bikini and said, this is, you know, well, he what said, we're well, going to needing. Or what did he say? He said to me that if I wasn't willing to show a bit of skin, I wasn't going to do very well. And that was really heartbreaking because I really needed the money. I really needed to 
you know, get some money for competitions because, you know, you you only get better when you compete regularly. You only get better when you go to um, training camps abroad and you're able to spar with different people who have different styles. Um, so obviously it was really heartbroken. And it was only until IMG, who I thank in the book, um, because they made a lot of things happen. I sat down with them and then they told me that they have a lot of hijab wearing models and that, you know, they have to make sure that only a woman um, does her makeup, does their makeup and only a woman can style their um, hijabs and they only wear modest clothing. So they said to me that I would only do things that I was comfortable with because the moment I feel uncomfortable is when it shows on screen and on camera. Um, that's it it's, I mean, it's incredible to hear that from IMG who are women they're women it was two yeah. inc- three incredible women um, at IMG who said this to me and yeah. they've been true to their word ever since because sometimes when they forward me when they forward Richard the email chains and you know they get they get sent the the looks for the for the shoots that I'm gonna do you'll see it. no 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 Ramla will not wear this like they just know without me even telling them now it's really great to hear that. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about was what this does to an individual, to a woman, mm. when they become a boxer, when they train, when they feel stronger. Because mm. you write very clearly in the book that getting fitter mm. increased your self-confidence, it increased your self-esteem. Mm. And I know that you've set up Sisters Club. So I wonder if you could talk about what it's done for your self-esteem, what mm. Sisters Club is and why it's so important to you. Firstly, when I was boxing and then I, I noticed the changes in my body, you know, over time, I remember I was able to run for the bus or as I was getting fitter, I became happier in myself because I was getting healthier. And the, you know, the doctors were giving good feedback about me to my mom and that made me really happy to see all that progress right in front of me and you know I became this strong person that I just didn't I didn't want to take anything from anyone and I all after that I started standing up for myself a little bit more um, and I just wanted to give that feeling of being able to just stand up stand up for yourself to other people and you know the hence the creation of sisters club it was an initiative that i set up back in 2018 and it was basically a free weekly so i volunteered an hour of my time once a week to women to help teach them how to box how to defend themselves so it wasn't a boxer size class <laughs> it was an actual boxing class where they'd learn technique learn proper defense skills and get fit at the same time because I remember my sister she was pestering me you know she's she's very religious she wears the hijab all of that and she said to me there's not a lot of safe spaces in London for women um where they can train so I thought you know what let me set this let, let me set this up for you set up sisters club um and it's just been this thing that has just grown and grown over time so a lot of the time 
women, you know, from religious minorities will come. Like I said, they don't necessarily have space, safe spaces in London. And then ethnic minorities, just people that don't have access to sport. And then after that, women who'd suffered from domestic violence and abuse started showing up. And I remember I had a conversation with one of the women who said, she felt really safe walking home alone at night. And I thought, wow, I've done my job. If I've given a woman a feeling of empowerment and a feeling of being courageous to just having the basic right of walking home alone at night, then that's an amazing achievement. And that was the initial purpose of setting up Sisters Club. And it's grown so much that we've started expanding it with the generous donations from Sports Direct and Nike. I mean, I've got to do a lot for it, but <laughs> it's generous donations. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible to hear. Yeah. It really is. You're empowering women from all backgrounds to feel better about themselves, to get out in the world, to feel safe walking home. Mm. And I want to say it's incredibly inspirational to hear that story. And I want to commend you for everything that you're doing. Thank you very much. Um, as we wrap up, yeah. this podcast is called Feel Better, Live mm, More, because yeah. I kind of feel when people feel better in themselves, they really get more out of their life. Mm -hmm. I always love where possible to leave my listeners with some kind of really practical tips and things that they can think about applying into their life immediately. I know we've covered a lot in the conversation, mm, yeah. but just to close off, do you have any final words of wisdom for people listening and watching? Be brave, be courageous, and you'll end up being happier. And don't be afraid to be yourself. Simple advice, but very, very effective. If people want to stay in touch with you, you know, where can they find you online? If they want to get involved with Sisters Club, they want to come along, right? Yes. How can they do all this stuff? So you can follow me on Instagram if you want. It's just simply Ramla Ali. Or you can start following Sisters Club ramla ali underscore sisters club um and then we've expanded now to four locations in london but we're going to expand across england coming up north yes i think we're going to do one in manchester we're basically we're looking at all of the locations where they have a lot of um religious minorities that don't necessarily feel comfortable being in uh, male-dominated spaces, male-dominated gyms. But it is a class open to everyone. Amazing. So any, any woman that feels uncomfortable training in a gym full of men is welcome to come to Sisters Club. If there's anything I can do to help spread the word, let me know. I'll share it all on social. I think it's an yeah. incredible initiative. Yeah. I think you're an incredible woman. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me. really hope you enjoyed that conversation as always do think about one thing that you might be able to take away and start applying into your own life and as always please do take a moment to let ramlet and i know on social media what you thought before we finish i want to let you know about friday five it's my weekly newsletter that contains five short doses of positivity to get you ready for the weekend now it usually contains a practical tip for your health I'll often write about a book or an article that I found inspiring, a quote that's caused me to stop and reflect, basically anything that I feel would be helpful and uplifting to share. 
I really do get such wonderful feedback from my Friday Five readers. Many of you tell me that it is one of the only weekly emails that you actively look forward to receiving. If that sounds like something you would like to receive each Friday, you can sign up for free at drchatterjee.com forward slash Friday Five. Don't forget about my new podcast offering that I mentioned at the top, ad-free episodes and a monthly Ask Me Anything show. Find out more at drchatterjee.com forward slash membership. And if you enjoy listening to my weekly podcast and you find the content helpful, please do share it with your friends and family. You can do this on social media. Or of course, you could right now just press pause and send them a link to this episode along with a personal message. Please also do consider leaving a review on whichever podcast platform you listen on. And of course, please do support the sponsors. You can see the full list with all the discount codes at drchatschi.com forward slash sponsors. If you are new to my content, you may be interested to know that I've written four books that are available to buy all over the world, covering all kinds of different topics like mental health, nutrition, exercise, movement, sleep, stress, behavior change, weight loss. I've covered a lot of different topics, so do take a moment to check out those books. They're all available as paperbacks, eBooks, and as audiobooks. And finally, thank you so much for listening. I do not take it for granted that you give up some of your precious time each week to listen to these conversations. I really hope you have a wonderful week and please do press follow on whichever podcast platform you listen on so you can get notified when my latest conversation comes out. Always remember, you are the architect of your own health. Making lifestyle changes always worth it because when you feel better, you live more.